Welcome back, everybody. I'm really excited about our, our current guest uh, because in a way, I've been living vicariously my acting dreams uh, through him. You know, here's, here's a Russian kid who came to the U.S. and made it as an actor. I'm really, really excited and uh, probably a little, uh, a little surreal for me to welcome to the show uh, our next guest, Lev Gorn. Welcome to the show, Lev. Thank you, Alan. Thank you very much. Thank you. Uh, it's, it's my pleasure. It's, um, I, I am completely, it's like, it's been three months, right? So I, I, I haven't really been this fanboy uh, type anyway. And uh, I speak to all sorts of people who I've been watching for the past 20 years. And it's totally normal. And I am, you know, 99% there. But I have, to, I have to admit that, you know, when I get a call from Thomas Capacci or when I get a call from Lev Gorn and it shows up on my phone, I'm thinking there's something very odd about this incident. Because three months ago, nobody knew I existed. And now I'm talking to Lev Gorn. I'm talking to Thomas Capacci. There's something just inherently beautiful about what happened. So. Well, um, that's very humbling. And thank you. Very excited. Yeah. All right. So uh, let's, let's jump into your background a little bit. And again, we're going to talk about your projects. And I have a bunch of acting specific questions for you. But you know, I came, um, I came when I was 14 to the United States. Uh, Detroit was my first stop. Year later, I moved to Chicago. I think you were 11 when you came uh, in. What was your path, and how did you kind of get started in the U.S.? Well, you know, as you know, we uh, actually before we get into that. Okay. Your cup just reminded me of a very interesting story. Your life is good, cup. <laughs> um. Um, I uh, co-wrote a, uh, a short script many years ago um, with a buddy, and we made it, mm -hmm. and then we qualified for this uh, festival. This, uh, it's a festival, but, it, but it's more of a foundation called the, uh, the Doorpost Film Project, mm -hmm. and we were chosen as one of 15 filmmakers to, to, uh, to make another movie. And they gave us 20 grand or whatever. They gave 20 grand to every single one. So we made this movie and all the movies were watched and our movie was clearly just miles better than most of the films there. Mm -hmm. uh, and I say that with the utmost humility only because, you know, we were legitimate writers, actors, you know, we were in it. Um, you can actually see it online. It's called Joe Mover. It's a fantastic story. And it was just, um, and <laughs> this, the second film that we made was based on a feature. A feature was actually, we came with a feature based on it. It was called 1031. Mm -hmm. It's a, you can also see it online. It's a, it's a great little movie. So we went to the sort of the red carpet night and there were three uh, prizes giving out. The first place, 100,000. The second place, 30,000. And for last place, third place, 10,000. Yeah. It was not even a doubt in my mind that $100,000 we would walk away. It was that everyone just knew it. Everyone was like, you guys totally deserve it. Blah, blah, blah. Um, one thing that we did not know, or maybe we didn't look at the rules, is that 
70% of the voting went to friends and family. So we won. But 70%, and this one guy who made this movie, he was a minister, a Baptist minister. Get his entire congregation, 5,000 people, outvote everyone and everyone. A very, very, let's just say a very genre type movie he made, you know, a very specific, you know, sort of, um, nothing to do with real life, you know, but, uh, and so we were flying back from Nashville. I had $400 in my account, it's my name. And I think my writing partner would have been less. And what I did in the, in the airport, I saw a, a, a feel good stuff, you know, like hats and shirts and yeah. I bought a sweatshirt, a feel, life is good sweatshirt. Yeah. And I yeah. put it on and that's where we got on the plane. And uh, I don't know, the rest is history, I guess. But yeah. Life yeah. is good, right? <laughs> I needed to wear it. <laughs> You did, you did. Uh, listen, it's, um, yeah, especially with those small uh, uh, festivals, it's, yeah. Moving, moving on from there, but getting to the uh, Joe Mover, and we'll come back to your, you know, Americanization story in a minute, but uh, Joe Mover was actually a little gift uh, from the universe for me, talking about life is good, because I'm doing my prep on you, and yes, you know, I, everybody knows I do, you know, two, three hours, whatever, on, on uh, each uh, guest before we meet. So I do my prep on you. I watch uh, Joe Mover. As soon as I start watching, I, I even hear it. It's like I hear a voice. And then I immediately, my eyes perk up. I start looking and I immediately recognize the person who is your writing partner because he was on my show a week before. Really? Absolutely. So Gabe was on my show. I immediately see him. I'm like, oh my God, wait a second. I stopped the movie because I'm thinking there's no way that this is Gabe because he looks like Gabe and it sounds like Gabe, but I'm watching Lev's film. I, I don't understand how this is. So it's our, I, it's our film. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I stop the movie. I see that it's Gabe. I reach out to Gabe. I'm like, dude, I'm watching in prep for Lev's, uh, you know, Lev's uh, interview and I'm watching uh, your movie. And in the interview, he actually mentioned that he, you know, co-wrote and co-directed a couple of uh, films uh, because I had so many questions. I, we never got to that. So uh -huh. then the whole thing came together. Moreover, I see somebody else that I recognize. Paul is there. Paul has not been on my show, but I know Paul really well just because I've seen him everywhere. And I know him because you and him were both on the wire. And you were, you know, working together on the wire. I start looking at the dates. You know, things start to line up. I'm thinking, okay, this is great. So what we didn't get to do, which I really wanted to, but the timing didn't work out. I, uh, Gabe and I, were gonna have Gabe join us and surprise you on this video, saying, "Hey, buddy, you know, that's uh, we made this movie together." And then you made uh, 10:31, and you continued uh, to work together. So the whole beauty of the acting world and how close people are in our little acting universe. It seems like it's huge, but it's not. It's, it's a pretty small place. Yeah. So that to me was really, really cool.
So I yeah, did it's write it's very cool, and they're both very close friends of mine. Gabe yeah. and I went up to write uh, a screenplay that um, a couple of times I got very close to uh, to getting the entire budget, but a couple of times it went away. Um, that being said, Paul is a very close friend of mine. You know, I mean, we talk all the time, and yeah. we became good friends after The Wire. And as a matter of fact, one time I, I he called me. He's like, "What's going on?" And I'm like, "Oh, uh, bro, I booked a pilot years ago, mm-hmm. and uh, I'm, you know, getting out of town." He's like, "Very cool." Well, as it happens, I also booked a pilot. I'm like, "That's awesome." Who are you playing? He was like, "I'm playing like a blah blah blah, you know, a cop." I'm like, mm-hmm. "Cool, I'm playing a, you know, drug dealer." He's like, "Very cool." All right, see you later. I arrived to the Shore Club in Miami, and I walk into the lobby, and there's Paul. <laughs> He's like, bro, what are you doing here? He's, you know, your show is shooting. Also, ma'am, why don't you tell me? He's like, what show are you shooting? He's like, the line. I'm like, I'm on that. He was like, wait, are you this? He arrests me. <laughs> yeah. It's been like that. It's been like that. Yeah. It's, it's awesome. I love that. Um, it's just, the, these are the little, little things. And did you know, by the way, that, uh, I don't know, you know, I'm sure Gabe, uh, Gabe told you, but you and Gabe met on Gabe's first feature film that he was ever on. I think that was my first one also. Uh, for you, it was not the first. Uh, it was the second, and I know you had, uh, you had a couple of shorts before that. Uh, at least based on your IMDb Pro, which may or may not be accurate, I found. Wait, are you talking about Crimson Tide? Nope, nope. Uh, you met on. Okay, I'm gonna look. This oh, wait, up. I know, I know what we met on. That was. Uh, I oh, know. Wait. What are you talking about before I did a movie, and that's yeah. on there? Yeah. Uh, hang on, I'll tell you. Yeah. Live. I think I know the movie. This is a funny well, story. You, you, you've done a few, so I, I can certainly understand that. You know, for me, it's much easier. I've done a lot less projects, so I, I can tell you which ones I've been on. But here's, here's what you've done before that. So uh, Crimson Knights was your first, then Sucker Punch, oh. uh, Keen, Unbridled, and then Straightforward. That's the one that you met on. That's right. Keen was an was a crazy experience. Yeah, I mean they 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 all had crazy experiences. You know, Crimson Tide was the very first one where I was supposed to play a vampire, and I'm like, okay. And so I show up and was supposed to, you know, I play the piano, or whatever. And yeah, I was supposed to seduce this girl, and I mean I was so green. And they're like, oh great, can you do this without your shirt? I'm like, okay, no problem. You know. And he's like, do you think you can take your pants off? I'm like, do you really need me to? Oh yeah, it's it's important because she's this and she's like in Italy and blah, blah, blah. I said, okay, I'll take my pants off. And then they're like, you know, you guys look so good together. Maybe you guys can both take your, you know, your underwear off and stuff like that. And I was like, okay, I'm out of here. <laughs> I'll put my shit on and I was out. Wow. Uh, that's again reality of acting, right? That's reality. It's like that's like the, the stereotype, you know what I mean? It's like, hey, yeah. don't you feel more comfortable without your shirt? <laughs> it was real. 
<laughs> okay. Um, thank you. I wasn't going to be asking about that project, but now I'm glad that it came up. It's one of those things that happened to you, you know. Well, that's that's very cool. So um, going back and, and kind of uh, just so, you know, more probably for my curiosity than anybody else's, but uh, I know you you studied in Detroit and I know you're a New York guy. So how did Detroit come about? And that's that's what made me think of where did you come? Did you come uh, to Detroit and then you moved to New York? What was your kind of American yeah. transition? No, I came to New York, uh, okay. Brooklyn, and was always in New York, but I wanted to go to grad school mm -hmm. because I was, you know, in my mid-20s and things weren't really moving. I, I felt like I needed more training. And so I auditioned, I think it was called Straw Hats, I forget the name, but it's where you audition for a number of grad schools. Okay. And then they call you back. The ones that are interested, they call you back for. Mm -hmm. And they call me back. And, you know, I went there to study. It's a three-year program. They actually pay you. Nice. More than 20 years ago. They pay you like $500 a week. And an apartment at that time was like $275 a week. A really nice one-bedroom apartment. And so I was there. I spent a year, uh, it was Wayne State, you know, I thought it was a Hillbury repertory company, you know, we did a lot of, but I, I wanted to play, they had this system where, where they start you up with smaller roles and, mm -hmm. and the lead roles are really played mostly by the last year, the, you know, and I was like, no, man, no, that role I want, you know, so I was, I had a lot of angst and, and I felt very safe there. And as a crazy New York actor, I was like, wait, this feels like I'm in school. This doesn't feel like a performance program, which is what it was supposed to be based, right? Yep. And so, which is kind of cool doing three shows a week, three different shows. So you're really doing a repertoire, which is the way a real classical, a real theater company worked always I, I think now it's not possible you know it just doesn't work that way but you would do three different shows in repertory that's what a repertory company is you know um so in the end of the year i just i decided not to come back you know went back to the grind of new york city hey it, it worked out right um, yeah. no i love detroit i i love the people um yeah it's an awesome place you know nice people the teachers, professors were really nice, you know. I just, I didn't want to be in a, a, a scholarly situation. I, I wanted to be like, hey, if you are the best for the job, then you should be the one playing it. But I also understand from the standpoint where you're a senior, you can't be playing like a, a peripheral role. Yeah, because then it's showcase and all the other stuff, so yeah, yeah, yeah. I get it. Um, yeah, Detroit for me will always be, you know, will always be special because that was the first place that I came to in the United States. Uh, really? Yeah. And where did you live in Detroit? Uh, we lived in uh, Oak Park. So um, it, was a, it was a suburb uh, kind of north, I think. Now, now people in Detroit are going to be mad at me for not remembering, but it was, uh, it was 
I went to uh, freshman year of high school there before we moved to Chicago. And, um, you know, I still have a ton of uh, friends and relatives in Detroit. You know, if it wasn't for COVID, we'd be there uh, at least a few times a year. Oh, really? Yeah, we, we go, we visit. Uh, I have aunts and uncles that are there. My cousins are there. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of still my second home. I actually, when my wife and I um, were, were dating and we were already engaged, and I took her to Detroit to meet, uh, to meet you know, a lot of the extended family. We didn't tell anybody we were coming. We went in, Matrix was, uh, uh, just came out at that time. So we went with my cousin and his girlfriend at that time. We went to a movie theater. Again, not telling anybody that I'm there. We went to the movie theater. I kid you not, this felt like Twilight Zone because half the movie theater stood up and said hello because they were my relatives. Uh, I thought my wife was going to leave me right there and run. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, why? I, I don't know. It's just, it was just such, such a surreal moment where you're walking in, half the, half the theater gets... Wait, it was an accident? It was just, it, it, it just was coincidence everybody, that they all happened to be there? Everybody went to see Matrix. And it was one of those moments. And, you know, like with the extended, extended, extended family, uh, yeah. a lot of them you don't see and you don't, you know, some of them you really don't really know. So like half the movie theater standing up and saying hello was just one of those really interesting moments in my life. But that's, that's Detroit. So uh, a, lot of, a lot of the Russian uh, kind of uh, community in Detroit, I have some sort of a relation to. And it's a big community, big, a lot of Russians? Uh, again, big is a relative term, right? You know, nothing compared to New York, nothing compared to Chicago, uh, but it's, it's a substantial uh, you know, Russian, Ukrainian uh, kind of Jewish community. Is there a Russian? Food stores there? There's Russian food store. Uh, you know, a person who is my my second cousin's father used to own the Russian uh, uh, food store, uh, or one of them. There were uh, there were a number uh, of those. There's a Russian newspaper. Uh, there's a you know Russian uh, radio uh, station. Again, uh, kind of they they had those things. It's not to the point uh, where it was there were Russian restaurants. You know, my, uh, my aunt and uncle owned a Russian restaurant there. I think there are three or four Russian restaurants still there. You guys are like a, you guys are like a crime family that own like a whole town. Wherever you go, the, the same family owns it, you know? You, you want to get a haircut? We got you. You want to, uh, you want to go to a hospital? We got you. Uh, you know, lawyers, sure. You know, all sorts of things. If I, I kid you not, if I lived in Detroit, I would have never gone into IT. I would have never gone into uh, any of my other uh, career kind of aspirations. I would have uh, had uh, some sort of a business because- well, What would you have been doing? Uh, likely I would have owned a, a chain of uh, hair cutteries. So uh, that's, that's a business that's popular in Detroit with my family. They own you really? know, quite a bit uh, of them uh, and you know, certain franchises that they, uh, they participate in. So I probably would have been in that business. Uh, so, yeah, I think I am much more entrepreneurial anyway. So I'm the, uh, within my family, I'm the only one, but my extended family quite a bit are. So if okay. I were there, I guarantee you that's what I would have been doing. So. Very interesting. Anyway, let's, uh, let's get to the uh, uh, second place that I saw you because I actually did things in reverse for whatever reason. Uh, I watched uh, the Americans before I watched The Wire. Um, and I saw you on the Americans, obviously. And by that time I wasn't doing acting a lot. 
And as I was watching it and the show it was over, I'm like, oh, come on. You know, I wish I was acting a little bit earlier so I could have gotten on that show because there's so, you know, so many uh, areas that I could have uh, potentially been useful to somebody. But I saw you on the Americans first. Uh, I really, really loved the show. Um, for me, by the way, I had to stop watching it uh, uh, because I started getting to a point where I was getting PTSD. There was so much drama. I, I, I had to stop. I, it's, it was too much for me to overcome. And the moment where uh, the two of them basically had to, uh, had to you know, kill a, uh, an innocent woman uh, because uh, she uh, just happened to be in the warehouse. And the that, woman, that, the yeah. uh, and that whole scene, uh, it was just so emotional for me. I, I, I had to take a break and then I said, okay, I'll watch it at some point, I'll finish it, but I, I just couldn't take it anymore. It was so dramatic for me, but I loved Great it. Thing. Yeah, the Joe, Joe, um, Joe Weisberg, Joe Fields, they really created an incredible world in mm -hmm. which it was uh, really special to go to work in, you know? Absolutely. The, the reality yeah. of, of what they created was, um, yeah. it was poignant, it was important, you know? Mm -hmm. Felt important. How did that project come about for you? And I know kind of, you know, that's, that's you know, 10 years uh, after the wire and we'll come back, but how did the, uh, how did the Americans come to you? Well, I'll tell you, it's, it's kind of, to me, it's about a destiny or fate or, you know, I, I have, uh, there's this uh, saying by, by the, by the, um, by the Danes or Vikings, which goes, we're bit full of it, right? Which means destiny is all but inexorable. So it's, it's, it's undeniable, you know? So I had quit acting. I got sick and tired of it. Um, I hadn't done it in three years. And uh, I was just doing photography and uh, portraiture, headshots. I was working on my artworks. Um, and a buddy of mine, Paul, he called me and he's like, come on, man, uh, our, our good friend David Rodriguez is doing a movie in the middle of Village Queens about, you know, a gangster, played by Paul Sabino, comes out of prison. And, and um, you know, he wants you to play, you know, Dominic Salerno Jr. And this sort of, you know, wannabe mobster. I'm like, I, I don't act anymore. I'm done. He's like, Okay, but just do it this one. No. And he browbeat me into it. It's like, I'm like, bro, there are, there are actors in New York, real Italians, who will pay you money to be in it. It's like, well, you know, Dave Rodriguez wants you. I'm like, so anyway, um, it turned out to be a really incredible experience working with, you know, with, with Paul and with, with Paul Sorvino, Paul Ben Victor with Dave Rodriguez, with Michael Rappaport. It was a great experience. And so I called my, my agent, who, who used to call me for years, and say, and say, I have an audition for you. I'm like, I'm not acting anymore. Oh, you're having a bad day. I'll talk to you later. You know, it was like that. So I, I called her, and I said, look, I understand I don't have to make $20,000 a year to get this great health insurance. 
Yeah. And I need health insurance. So let's, let's do that. She goes, okay, but you can't be an asshole. I'm like, actually, that's probably not going to happen because I am an asshole, you know? Yeah. Uh, meaning I'm not going to go to everything that she wants me to go to, you know? Yep. And so I think I went on one audition or something, or I was said I was going to go and I didn't because I, because I thought it was going to be crap. I don't remember what it was. Anyway, this audition came along hmm. for the Americans. I went in. They must have liked me. And then I think I came back two more times. And, you know, I met the Jays. They're wonderful. We had great conversation. And a guy named Adam Arkin, Alan Arkin's oh. son. Yeah. Yeah. He was fantastic. He, yeah. he was the director and producer, and he really fought for me. Really, really fought for me because it's between me and another guy who, who, who's a very good actor. Um, and, you know, I wound up getting it and, and uh, you know, and yeah. it's, it just turned into, into a good thing. It really turned into, something, into a life-changing experience. Yeah. Um, when, we, when we get done uh, recording, I have an idea of who you were uh, up against. I'm going to ask you that question when we cut. Uh, I want to know because I want to know if I'm right or not. Anyway, uh, but that's, I didn't even know that Adam Arkin was, uh, was there. Uh, On the first I, season, first yeah. season. Yeah, and I love, I love his dad. I love Adam. Uh, they're both incredible actors. You know, definitely people that I've been, uh, you know, wanting to have on my show for a while. So I will be reaching out to them again. But uh, that's, that's very cool. I'm glad to see that, you know, these are the type of uh, uh, people uh, off screen that they resemble to be on screen. Yeah. There, Adam is a, is a wonderful guy, really is, a special guy. So on the Americans, uh, again, you were there for four seasons, and then they sent you, <laughs> they sent you back to Russia. Uh, and the... Oh, Sorry about that. It's potential spam. Potential spam? It's potential spam. Hey, answer it. Let's see, let's see what it's about. Let's do it. I already declined it. Sorry. Okay, yeah. If, if, if they call again, let me know, because that should be a fun conversation. Um, my, by the way, my best friend, he lives for those. Anytime he gets somebody that he knows is just busting his, uh, his jobs, he spends yeah. as much time as possible doing the same thing to them. And he just, his eyes light up when he gets one of those calls because he can just be himself and have fun on the phone. He's... Yeah, that's that's. Well, what does he do? Is he like, why don't you give me a number and I'll call you back? Wait, hold on, I'm trying to expand this window. I don't know what's going on. Yeah. How do you uh, expand the window? I see you just fine, so I don't know what's on your end. But the window that I'm looking at is tiny. Uh, you should. So up on the top. Oh, uh, here we go. We're back. Okay, there you go. Um, so yeah, he just he basically uh just talks to them and uh, depending on who it is and especially if he senses that these are people who are you know not just uh, not just you know spammers but these are people who are trying to uh, to do some harm and yeah, yeah. your information oh he just he goes off and he he specifically learned words in different languages because when he knows that people are from another country he speaks those swear words to them at some point during the conversation. So this is, this is what my best friend does. Um, 
but back to the Americans for a second. So you get to work with, again, some Russian speaking people, uh, and you get to work with actors who were not Russian, uh, native Russian speakers. Uh, yeah. who, did, who did pretty well, I thought. Uh, you know, Carrie did pretty well, uh, Matthew did pretty well. So yeah. what was it like, again, in terms of the dynamics uh, behind the scenes? Uh, I know that they probably were working with, uh, with dialect coaches, but you know, did anybody come up to the Russian guys and say, okay, am I doing this right? Well, what's happening? Um, I remember I had a scene in the end of the first season with Matthew and he needed to say a few things in Russian, I think, and mm -hmm. I helped him out, but I'm sure he had help. I'm sure. Yeah. yeah. I don't think, I don't think anyone just winged it. No, they didn't. And, um, I, I, both of them are amazing actors. Uh, it's, it's cool that they're together in real life, but, uh, I love them as a, as, as a couple, and I've had a crush on Carrie Russell ever since uh, Felicity. So, you know, I've been following her career closely. <laughs> um, okay, so on the, uh, back to The Wire for a second. So you got The Wire, it was one of your earlier projects. You know, you had a few credits and then you got The Wire. Now, before we dive into the show, how did that come about for you in terms of an opportunity? Well, that was the first time I quit acting, <laughs> and uh, um, I was I was doing fashion photography. Okay. And one of the model bookers that that I was working with, that I was booking models through, he he, he called me one day, and he said, "You you used to be an actor, right?" I'm like, "Yeah." He's like, um, "Well, I'm opening um, a talent wing." Okay. And, you know, because a lot of models, they, they also do commercials. Well, yep. it's like, well, I started cold calling casting directors and I got a spot because he had a bunch of Israeli, uh, handsome Israeli dudes. It's like, I got a spot, an audition for an HBO show and I need, it's an Israeli drug dealer. And uh, I, I just don't, these guys, I just, they're not trained actors. And I think this is HBO. It's, it's like a serious thing, I think. I'm like, I don't understand what he was saying. He's like, can you go in and do this? I'm like, oh, no, no. He's like, please. Because I'm trying to establish, you know, relationships. This would really help. I said, okay. And at that time, I had a car, which was in the shop. And every time I would go back, this was three days already, the Israeli car mechanic would just sit down and tell me stories because my car wasn't ready. For an hour, he would tell me a story. You know, when I was in the army, this is what I did, you know, and the blah, 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 blah. And, and, um, and he told me this incredible story. So I went into audition and I did the audition, like an Israeli guy, you know, mm -hmm. and then the story was so right for the scene. I just, I just kept going into the story. And I just kept going and it's Alexa Fogel. And, uh, and I finished it. She turned it off. She goes, and she said, okay, thank you. That was totally unprofessional. I won't ever do that in my office ever again. Um, it's not on the script. Don't do that. I don't know how much you've been acting, but that's unprofessional. You don't do that. I said, okay. Uh, and she said, goodbye. Um, I left a week later, he calls me. And he says, they want to know if you speak Hebrew. 
I was like, just tell him I can speak Hebrew. He's yeah. like, no, do you know how to speak Hebrew? I'm like, yeah, I know how to speak Hebrew. You know, I went to Yeshiva, I could read a little Torah, you know? I'm like, what's the worst that could happen? I have to learn right. Hebrew um, words, right? So I would just translate. And so I got the job. I never had to speak Hebrew. Yep. And, <laughs> you know, and uh, I showed up my very first day, my first scene ever on TV. Yeah. And it's Paul Ben Victor. This guy was, he's got like this hat on and he comes over to me and I'm like, this is a little guy. And he starts asking me things. I'm like, who is this extra? This is an extra. He was like annoying. He's like, what do you do? I'm like, I'm like, I'm a photographer. This is just a hobby. I don't know what this is. He's like, oh yeah? He's like, where do you live? Let's hang out. I'm like, this is an extra being very annoying. Anyway, we wound up becoming very good friends after that. But that was my, you know, my, that was my first scene was, yeah. And I think it's, uh, oh yeah, and the director of that was Steve Schill, who I recently reconnected with on a, an NBC show that I did a year ago now, two years ago, um, which he executive produced, no, which he, I think he was one of the executive producers anyway, so we've reconnected, he's a cool guy, you know. That's really interesting. That's, so that's the whole story, really. Yeah. She never called me in again. That's that's the kicker. She never ever called me in again. One time she saw me on the floor and she went, Hey, how you doing? And she like she we had a she remembered me, you know? Yeah. She started my career really ultimately. But she never called me in again. Ever. Unbelievable. I'm like, Alexa, if you're watching <laughs> you know, I'm sorry, but you know, ultimately it worked, right? Yeah. <clears throat> It certainly did. Um, so it seems to be a trend with you. I'm not sure if it is, but uh, the last couple of things is that you need to be talked into doing things that ultimately change your life for the better. Is that is that what seems to be happening? Well, it happened twice. So I wouldn't call it a pattern. All right, fine. So it's just <laughs> the two things that came up. Got it. <laughs> uh, I'm glad they did. And uh, again, I, I immediately, because of the Americans and I started watching The Wire, I literally, I was not aware of the wire okay that's not true i was aware of the wire when it came out but uh it just i wasn't watching it and then my friends kept talking about it and kept talking about it then saying that it's one of the best shows ever and you have to watch it and then when COVID uh started i said okay well i'm gonna you know i have some time i'm gonna watch the wire and of course i got hooked and i watched the wire i loved it it's in my top five uh, you know shows ever so i immediately recognize you I'm like, oh my God, that's, that's Lev Gord. And uh, I still talk to some friends who are huge fans of The Wire that watched it way when it came out and they had to think through. It was like, oh, Lev was in there? I didn't remember. I'm like, yeah, that's the, you know, he was the- oh, I, had, I had six episodes. I know, but right. you, you were fresh in my mind from the American, so I immediately went there. I'm like, hey, I didn't know Lev was in The, was in the Wire and he's playing an Israeli. Okay, that works. Um, so that was that was pretty cool. That was that was a, it was a cool experience. Cool yeah. Experience. Um, now, in terms of uh, kind of again looking at your career, and you certainly uh, we we cannot say that that's you know a trend, and you're only playing uh, or you're only asking to play guys who are Russian speakers because you've played a lot and uh, they're not. But it's uh, it's definitely a part of your career where you're playing guys who are Russian. Uh, me personally, being stupid. 
when I started acting, I didn't want to be the Russian guy. I, I was happy to do some parts and I did some parts, but I didn't want to be typecast as I, I don't want to only reach for the Russian guy. I want to be, you know, I have range. I, I have uh, an ability to play all sorts of characters. I love doing accents. I can do British. I can do French. I can do Israeli. I can do other things. Let's not have me as the Russian guy. And I was talking to Michael Kostroff and he said, okay, settle down because when you get to a certain point, then maybe you'll, uh, you'll be able to say that. For right now, take whatever job comes that actually fits you. So when you were going through your progression, did you ever have the, you know, my silliness of not wanting to be the Russian guy or you were okay kind of playing because it was a part that made sense? Uh, you know, I was, I was happy to work and I, you know, my, my goal was to work, work on characters who are uh, multidimensional, yeah. you know, I mean, it, it's definitely, uh, it was a little daunting that after the Americans, I would take meetings with casting directors and I would say, hi, how are you doing, you know, whatever. And they would say, wow, you do a really good American accent. Can you just, you can just speak the way you normally speak. Or one time it was, wow, your English is like, like it's almost like you're American. Um, which is, you know, I understand because you, you watch someone, you know, a particular way. So I get that. So it, 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 it was a little taxing because uh, I wanted to play other roles and I did get to play other roles, um, but mostly in Indies. Yeah. Never on, uh, never on, on, on television. Although before COVID, I did, um, I did, I, I was cast in one of my, it really in the first network television role where, where I actually don't have an accident at all. It's just, I just talk like this. Good. But the show was, uh, I think that, that the show ran for like two weeks and then it got canceled. So I don't know if it's coming back. Maybe it will. I hope so. Yeah. Um, and again, I, I saw you on Madam Secretary and you played, you know, the, I think the Ukrainian president. If I'm not president, yes. So it, I play residents and presidents. <laughs> I like that. Did you just come up with that or have you used this line before? Because it's a great line. My mother actually said that. Okay, that's awesome. Presidente y presidente. That's awesome. <laughs> I'm writing this down. That is awesome. I love that. Okay. Um, Let's, uh, let's uh, jump into, uh, into photography for a second because uh, we'll come back to acting in a minute, but uh, I was really impressed and again, trying to understand who you are as a person and the different sides that, uh, that you know, are to you. And I looked at your, on your website, uh, which is your photography website. And at first it, it, took me, it took me a second to figure out what I was looking at. And then as I started to understand what you were doing, it's really interesting. And uh, for people who are not uh, aware of it, let's, uh, let's make sure that they know, what do you do with photography? What is your style? And why do you do it that way? So I have two websites. One is I do headshots, right? Which is Gorn Photo. That's not the one I was referring to. Right, and then you were talking about Ledborn Studio, which is my fine art website. Yep. What I do is, what you're looking at are not photographs. What you're looking at are uh, each work has maybe 200 photographs, which are blended together to create a completely different world. Yeah. And in a sense, it's 
it's kind of like, you know, a novel is not an alphabet. Yeah. Right? You use letters of an alphabet to, to make words, and those words make sentences, and the sentences make paragraphs. And many, many paragraphs create books. So that's what I do. I go to a different part of the world. I, I shoot, I photograph, you know, and then I, I come back. It's all based on, on a concept and an idea that I'm pursuing. I come back and I build, I blend using Photoshop and other plugins. I create um, because I believe that consciousness, right, is in the fibers of the universe. It was created that way. So that like our human consciousness is reflected in the consciousness, in the fibers of the being, of, 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 of everything. Everything that is material and immaterial. So when you, when you take all these different parts and you build them together, you are ultimately recreating a consciousness, you're rebuilding it, but it's the same thing. And what I'm looking for is to create attention because you're looking at something that doesn't exist, but it's built from what does exist. So it creates an interesting tension between the viewer and the, and the work, and it bends time and space. That's what I'm after, which ultimately taps into the mystery of the universe and the mystery of human existence. And when you're looking at it, that, that connection with the mystery happens on a visceral level on a subconscious level or an unconscious level, on the level that we ultimately exist upon. Mm -hmm. Did you understand any of that? I don't know. <laughs> I did, and that's why I'm so interested in it because you know, I and the, the viewers of, of our show know how much into spirituality and all of the uh, woo-woo stuff I'm into. Oh, are you? I didn't know. Yeah. Uh, absolutely. So I'm, I'm into all of that stuff. As a matter of fact, you know, talking about kind of the, the universe and the construct there. And uh, again, I'm going to say something whether you believe it or not. And I'm not, I'm not just talking to you, but the audience. It's, it's entirely up to you. I'm just sharing my experience. So, but oftentimes I would look outside and I would see rain, but it's not raining. And I would try to figure out what is it that I'm seeing because it's not the window. It's not, you know, anything in the window. I'm literally kind of seeing rain. And not until I started talking to to people who understand, uh, you know, energy, who understand how, you know, things are constructed, or at least they believe that they understand, they started saying that, yeah, I'm seeing energy, I'm seeing kind of this stitching, if you will, uh, on the outside. And it was always interesting to me. And uh, it, it kind of happened uh, naturally, and then you start seeing it. I know some people see auras, and they see colors, you know, some people can kind of, uh, you know, do a scan and see what's happening on the inside of your body. You know, I've done some of that too. So when I came across your website and I, I started uh, doing more reading, I'm like, this is really interesting. And it's going towards that understanding of what is actually happening and what is our reality and how everything comes together. So for me, it was very interesting, not just from the photography perspective, it was just interesting that, okay, that's another place. And I had to just sit there and stare at it for a while. Uh, so it was very cool. And, and that, thank you. And that's the idea, you know. The idea is that a piece of art, when somebody purchases a piece of art and they hang, in their, hang it on their wall, 
it's not like a pair of pants that you get tired of eventually, right? It, it a good piece of art that you can connect with will, will grow with you as you grow, as you, as you move through your life, that piece will move with you. And you know, and you know, I heard you say spiritual and woo. -woo. It's interesting to me that you would use those words only because I don't think there's anything spiritual about it. And I don't think there's anything woo, -woo about it. Right. Everything is in, inherently, innately spiritual. You know what I mean? And I think what we're talking about is actually science. Yeah. It's not something that is maybe happening. What you're talking about is actual science that actually exists and has been proven. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Because I'm, you know, I'm doing research not among the woo-woo people, right? Like, you know, I'm not reading Eat, Pray, Love. I'm, I'm actually reading scientists yeah. that are talking about, you know, looking at a piece of art or walking through nature uh, literally lowers your inflammation in your body, right? So that's an actual real thing. So creating art with that in mind is a very interesting experience, the process, you know? So you're not woo-woo, you're a scientist. <laughs> I am, I'm, I'm a metaphysicist um, and uh, it's, it's true. I, I, I use those terms just as an easy kind of throw out uh, to, uh, to- I understand. Protect people are afraid. Well, people are afraid to, ultimately, people are afraid to step out of their, their very structured reality. The moment that you look to the side, you may realize that your path may not just be the correct path. It's just a path, you know? Uh, but I, I agree with you absolutely. It's it's all been proven. Some some things have not been proven yet, but we know the, uh, them to be true. And I've had so many experiences that I know for sure it is uh, it is happening. And I've had that since I was a child. So it doesn't need to be proven either or further for me. I know that to be a fact. So uh, Einstein, Einstein, Albert Einstein himself, at the at the toward the end of his life, became extremely. Uh, spiritual right. and you said that there's only there's it, it is impossible that the universe arranged itself you know because of the elegance arrangement of the universe he said that there is something that is beyond our understanding that has happened right i'm not talking about god i'm talking about a higher consciousness right. you know that could be that people call god it could be our collective consciousness of every single human being on the planet, every being that is using that energy, right? Because consciousness is calories, right? Mm -hmm. To create almost like, like an AI, like a super intelligence, a super consciousness yeah. that becomes separate from all the different beings that create it. Yeah. <laughs> it's true. I, I completely, completely agree with it. And what what I've done with that, and I'm not the only one, and again, obviously my, my career versus uh, people I'm about to reference, but even if you look at kind of the acting approaches, and I wanna, uh, I wanna talk uh, to you a little bit about that, but you know, Jeremy Irons, <clears throat> the first thing that I heard from Jeremy Irons when he was talking about acting is he tries to figure out at what chakra and what energy that character is. 
And that's the way that he kind of calibrates and he, he plays. Uh, people are using these concepts of metaphysics. They're using concepts of energy uh, in order to properly express. And I use that for my own calibration because when I start reading something, right, I get my sight, I, I start getting kind of an impression of, you know, what is this person, what are they, how do they talk? How do they walk? What is the physicality? What, <clears throat> what kind of energy is this person? And then I start, you know, that's one of my ways of introducing myself to a character. So that's, that's just my particular way, but I employ the things that make me me in order to bring that to a role. And I know others do the same. So for me, it's just a, it's a natural part of it. And the first time, by the way, that I've noticed, and this is not acting specific, but the first time that I've noticed that there is something going on is when I was a little kid. And um, you know, I was always into, into girls and always trying to impress uh, girls. I was a little kid and I liked a girl and I wanted to hug her. And as I went in for the hug, there seemed to be a, and I didn't understand any of this, but there seemed to be a field, a bubble between the two of us that as I got closer, that bubble was just pushing me away. And I made a very specific mental note of that person is not ready uh, for your hug and you're feeling this. And I knew that and I didn't understand why uh, I had no concepts, but I had an inherent understanding that that's the way that the universe worked. So for me, you know, doing this and feeling kind of the energy around, that was ingrained since I was a kid because I physically experienced it. It's fascinating. It really is. You know, some people are just much more uh, tapped in from birth because I believe that we come to earth through our mothers at different levels of evolution. Right. Psycho-spiritual evolution, you know. Um, I think some people become the Dalai Lama. Some people become a construction worker. Some people become an artist. All of those people share the same value, the same soul. It's just, we have different purposes. And I believe our purposes are based on our psycho-spiritual evolution at the point of entry into the world. So I think that there is a level of evolution that you've already experienced that allows you to see that. You know, I've never seen that. I've never experienced that. I certainly know when a girl is not into me. Uh, <laughs> um, um, <laughs> but I, I've, never, I've never experienced that. We'll, we'll talk offline. Uh, I'll, I'll give you some things to, to play with that, uh, that you will. And I know you have, and I'm not going to be argumentative uh, about it, but all of us have. It's just whether we notice that we were or not. For instance, when you're sitting somewhere, do you know, uh, even though you're not uh, looking at a person, you just know that somebody is looking at you and they're feeling it? Because uh, in, in Russian, we have this you know, little phrase that's, uh, that's called spinnim mozgam chustru. Uh, in English, it's, it's the same idea where you just, you feel like you don't know what's happening, but you feel that there is somebody looking at you. Yes. You yes. So that is nothing more than, again, if we look at ourselves and if we think of ourselves in that regard, and guys, this applies to acting as well, so you can absolutely use it. But 
if all of us are you know energetic beings and there is energy and again talking about the science um if you have me around me there are many different kind of uh, energetic uh, bubbles if you will and those bubbles extend to a certain uh, locale so all of us are walking around and these bubbles are touching each other so the fact that you are looking this way and there's something behind it doesn't mean that there is not a bubble and a part that's connected to you that you're feeling so when somebody is in that space like me with that girl getting way too close and it becomes more and more dense as you get closer to the body you're feeling that bubble that there's something in your periphery. so it's it's just it's a very scientific uh, way of understanding it just whether we choose to believe it or we ignore it but all of us have experienced it you know it's interesting you talk about uh being when we feel about that someone is looking at us one of the uh one of the important uh important um techniques that the navy seals learn is to move when they when when they see enemy at night right when they're moving in is yeah. and to not to look peripherally at them because a human being knows when you're being watched yeah. so they don't make direct eye contact even with the back of the enemy mm-hmm. isn't that interesting yeah it's it's completely interesting and uh again those going back to uh, to the acting for a second but uh i don't know if you've watched the accountant uh ben affleck uh, uh film that came out a couple years ago and <clears throat> there is there is a scene there where he and for those who haven't watched the movie spoiler alert he and his brother at that point they didn't know that uh you know they knew that they were brothers they just didn't know who the other person was and his brother is walking in front of him and uh Ben is uh, tailing to figure out what it is and that person feels it because again they're both trained uh, high level military operatives he's he feels that there is somebody behind him because on the periphery you know that somebody is watching you and then he does you know what he does which I'm not going to ruin any more of the movie but that was again just a very uh from a military perspective it made sense from a movie perspective it made sense and for me from energetic perspective it made perfect sense it's a win yeah. so it's it's a win 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 i always try to go for the three in this particular area. <laughs> so um you talked about purpose have you figured out what your purpose is in this particular you know uh instance and uh incarnation if you will yeah but it's private that's okay yeah. uh, i no no need to share it but I I am a big proponent of everybody kind of tuning in and figuring out what their purpose is and then Absolutely. doing their best to align with it. Absolutely. You know, I mean it's obviously in the arts, you know. Um, but I, you know, when 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 I I feel that as an as an artist, all I think all artists their purpose depending on how they arrive to it is to is to reveal and tap into the mystery of human existence mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. and the mystery of existence period and to reveal to open a door to open a crack to scratch the surface that's ultimately the purpose of art because art 
is in and of itself. You know, why make a painting? Why? You're asking me? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, why? I mean, why are people doing that? I mean, it's, it comes out of you, right? Like, it, you can't not do it. But why? Well, what is it? You know, so, so my point is, I think that every, with every stroke, you, you tap in. And so all artists, I feel, whether they're conscious of it or not, that is what, that, that is their purpose. I agree with you completely. And that's, that's kind of the way that I was going to answer. I'm a writer and I've been writing uh, since I was a kid. Uh, I've been writing poetry, you know, since I was a kid. My poetry is the rhyming poetry because I come from the old country and uh, all the poetry had to rhyme there. So, but I remember writing and again, that other kind of something different understanding is I'm writing, but something is really writing through me. Yeah. Because, and that's, you know, later on, I realized that I was channeling uh, because people who were reading my poetry when I was, you know, seven, eight, nine years old were thinking, oh my God, this little kid wrote this. That's a lot deeper than any of experience that he would have had in this life. And it was because of that. It's just you're tapping in. So for me, I write because that's who I am. I cannot not write. If I don't write, if I don't act, if I don't help people in whatever way I can during the day, uh, and it can be as little as you know creating a meme or doing the show, uh, I don't feel whole. And that's, that's, my, uh, that's my thing. I have to. It's, it has to be aligned with your purpose. I'm glad that you're aligning with yours, that it's in the arts because I'm a firm believer that if people are not aligning with their purpose in at least some way, they will not be happy, they will not be healthy, and the environment around it is not going to be one that's very productive. I can't speak to that only because, and I respect what you're saying, I can't speak to that only because I just don't know. Right. You know what I mean, like, I know a lot of very, uh, very successful but unhappy people. Yeah. Also, I know a lot of very successful and happy people. And same goes for people who are unsuccessful or, uh, or uh, I don't even know what that means, unsuccessful. Uh, but some people who are not living their best life, maybe, you know. Um, yeah. um, for me, it's kind of, uh, it's this... Um it's this meter that I, that I asked myself uh, and I kind of discovered it about myself and I phrased it finally uh, when, I had my, uh, when I had my talk with Michael, Michael Kostrov. And I said, listen, if for me, I feel like I'm either, uh, I'm either creative or destructive and not destructive in a, you know, any you know, way of hurting myself or others, but it's an energy thing, right? So I'm either creative and it makes me happy or, I'm not, and then I feel uh, I feel different, and I need to be creative. So for me, that means that whatever it is that I do, if I'm creative, everything is good. It's a need, right? It's 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 uh, it's like uh, for me, it's always like the crude metaphor is like a cow has to be milked. Yes, I I get that. You know what I mean? Like otherwise, the cow can be very sick or die like you have to milk the cow yeah um i even i even wrote a little uh, kind of poem because people ask me why i write i'm gonna find it uh, before the end of the interview i'll, I'll read it 
because it answers that question. And it's the, the having to be milked uh, type of uh, type okay. of thing. Sure. Yeah. Um, so, uh, go ahead, I'm sorry. No, go ahead. I was gonna ask you again, you're, you're a photographer, you're an artist, obviously. Now uh, you're an actor, you uh, are a writer, you know, you're a director. Um, I think you've produced some stuff. I don't remember, and it's not in my notes, but uh, yeah. Well, both, both of the short films that Gabe and I did, we produced them. Right, so you're a producer. So if you had to uh, not pick one as in not do the others, but if you had to introduce yourself to people and you shake the hand and they ask you who you are, what's the first thing that comes out of your mouth? It depends on the person. Okay. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm definitely a writer. Mm -hmm. I'm definitely a visual artist. I'm definitely an actor. I'm definitely a photographer. Yeah. You know, so, um, I, you know, look, I, I directed two short films and um, I'm going to direct a, a feature film, you know, I'm in the process of, you know, raising dough. And mm -hmm. I am going to do that. And then I will legitimately be able to say, even though I directed the short films, I guess in, in the eyes of the world, I'm a first time director. Right. I am in the eyes of the industry. So, as a first-time director, once I direct the feature, I am a director. You know, and uh, I don't feel like a first-time director, but it's an exciting, it's an exciting thing. So, I guess I'll be able to add to that writer, director, actor, artist. <laughs> so, which one comes first for you? Because I don't know if I'm a, if I'm an actor, writer. Uh, you know, which one of those comes first for me? Do you have one that comes first for you? That well, you if I'm doing photography today, then I'm a photographer. If I'm writing today, you know, um, okay. uh, you know, uh, it's, I, I, I write every day, you know, I became, you know, eight, eight hour a day writer during COVID. So, oh. so I'm a, I'm a writer, a writer. That's, that's when, when I talk to people, unless they know I'm an actor, I just say, well, well what are you doing? I'm, I'm a writer. Okay, but how do you make, like, what's your day job? I'm yeah. like, acting yeah. and photography and stuff. Yeah. yeah, but make up your mind. I'm like, I don't have to. No, you don't have to. Yeah. So, so it's like that, you know? It's, uh, if I'm pitching a movie, you know, I'm pitching my script to make a movie. I'm a, I'm a writer-director. Everybody knows I'm an actor once I'm in, in a room with producers. They, they know that, you know. But I'm not trying to sell the script to get made as, a, as an actor. I am getting my script made as a writer-director. That's what I'm doing, you know. Well, that's, that's, very, that's very cool. And it's, uh, it's an interesting way of uh, looking at it. And I actually like that because that's, that's more a reflection of who you are at that particular moment. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, you know, last week, uh, a very good friend of mine is an interior designer, and she's mm -hmm. a fan of my work, my artwork. And so she pitched a, a picture, one of my large-scale, I call them photo paintings, yeah. to a client, and they really wanted to meet me. I said, okay, you know, we went uptown, went to their place. It often happens that way, you know, that 
sometimes they come to my studio, sometimes I, I meet them. And they turn out to be really big fans of the Americans. And so we talked about art, but we talked mostly about, they just, they wanted to know what, what, what it's like. It was kind of cool. Um, but I felt like an artist talking about acting as opposed to actor yeah. talking about art. Yeah. But that was a very real feeling. I remember this, you know? Uh, so it was, a, it was a very cool experience. A very sweet yeah. I like it. I actually, I, because of who you are and because of uh, your, uh, you know, artwork, I think you would be a very interesting uh, director. I, I'm really looking forward to, uh, to you making that project. I want to see what your vision is because you have a different way of looking at things. So that, that would be very good. Cool. I appreciate that. I agree with you. I do look at things in a different way. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so you said you've been writing eight hours a day uh, during COVID. Um, have you, you know, created anything that uh, you're going to be sharing with the world soon? Or is that for that uh, motion picture? Well, you know, it's, uh, I wrote a screenplay, you know. Uh, hmm. But, um, yeah, I'm very excited about it. You know? Very, very excited about it. I think it's I think it's the greatest thing since life sweet. I really do. I think it's incredible. Oh. And I and I say that not about me. I I'm, I'm saying that about the story that it is. Just, you know what I mean? That's the difference. It's not great because I wrote it. It's great because it's a great story. Mm-hmm. But that's awesome. Exciting. It's very exciting. Yeah. Uh, um, please uh, keep uh, keep us up to uh, up to date so we know when uh, when it's going to come out. I'm I will. You know, I finished the draft yesterday. Uh, yesterday was the twenty sixth, mm-hmm. and a, a, a film that I was in premiered on Netflix yesterday called Lingua Franca, and it was like a it was a wild day where you know I'm talking to the director and and I also finished you know, uh, what I'd say is pretty much one of the, probably the final draft, pretty much the final or the pre-final draft of, of this screenplay. Mm-hmm. And this movie is coming out and I didn't, really didn't know which I was more excited about, you know. I mean, I was excited about both, obviously. Yeah. But, uh, this is a very cool movie, which I have to plug. It's called Lingua Franca. It's a love story, an unrequited love story. Quite beautiful, gorgeous. Gorgeous. What's what's the name of the movie? Because obviously I didn't do enough research in this particular case. What's the name? I'm going to check it out on the book. Lingua Franca. Uh-huh. Like the French language, but Lingua yeah. Franca, which yeah. actually means the international language. Yeah. It's a gorgeous, gorgeous story. It's a very special story. Is that... Is that, is that... <laughs> I don't know. How do I tell that? Does it does does the does the uh, does your recording pick that up? Uh, the fact that it's ringing, absolutely, it's pretty. <laughs> I really have no idea how to turn it off. No, don't worry about it. Uh, again, it, we can cut this out if you like. Otherwise, no, I don't care. 
Yeah, the whole point is we're doing this from home. You know, I'm nobody's hiding the fact that the, this is. You know, I'm not in the studio. Uh, I'm I'm in my uh, I'm in my office, and this is one of the walls in which I put this. Uh, you know, nice little banner. So. Uh, oh yeah, I thought that was digital. That's so cool. I thought if you. This is. It's not digital. It's a banner. Oh, yeah, very it's, cool. It's a, it's a banner uh, that I'm putting on my wall right there. You know, there's there's the door, right? I have to go. Yeah, I love it. I love it. I love the step. The step letter is great. The the lights, everything. It's uh, it's it's all just my it's my normal setup uh, because again, doing self tapes and uh, actually, you know, that's a nice uh, nice way of us uh, to continue talking about it because I wanted to ask you about self tapes, but um, you know, when I'm doing self tapes. Over this uh, comes another uh, type of uh, material to uh, to cover it up. I do my self tapes. You know, I have all of my setup here, and uh, I started doing the show with a different shot uh, for my main computer over there. But then people could see kind of the whole room, and it was just uh, a little busy. So then I transitioned here. I finally got uh, my my background. So no, I, uh, nothing digital is going to uh, is going to look as good. I tried doing things. It just it doesn't look as real. Uh, I wanted to create a you know, a a real background. So I ordered it, hung it up, and now it's a, it's kind of a permanent fixture. I mean, I love it. I think it's yeah. great. So let's talk about uh, auditioning. Let's talk about self tapes. Uh, first of all, let's actually let's talk about self tapes. At this point in your career. Are you still doing self-tapes or are you at a point where people are saying, hey, I see you in this role, uh, can you come in and uh, talk to us about it? That happens, uh, but I do uh, self-tapes all the time. Okay. It's just the reality, you know, everyone does, does self-tapes, you know, and I, I guarantee you, I guarantee you actors who you think just go from movie to movie um, being, being cast, I guarantee you they do quite a few quite a few self-tapes. It's just, it's just the way it is, you know, as a director, you know, you, you want to see the audition, you want to see the, per you want to see yeah. the person, you want to see the actor read your material, you know, and, you know, unless it's a really sort of, you know, high profile thing, but it happens all the time. I get you. Uh, by the way, you're you're a little quieter now. I don't know if you were uh, if you fixed something, but uh, can we go back up on the volume? Um, Did you do anything on your end, or no? I, I think I just started doing a sexy voice, maybe. Oh, well, then then continue on with that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm sure the ladies who are watching this are going to be very happy with it. Um, okay, so you're still doing self tapes. That's cool. And um, are you doing, again, everybody has their own audition prep. Do you have uh, an audition prep that works for you uh, that you've been able to kind of uh, uh, perfect over time? Well, um, I think it's crucial that to work with a coach. Okay. I work with, I think, uh, an amazing coach who's also a very good friend of mine. And working uh, with him has been a profound, really groundbreaking experience, you know, to where I just said, okay, just about every audition, I just probably for a solid year. Yeah, all of, I'd say 2019. And so I think 
having a great coach. You know, you get material and, you know, you, you read it and you work on it and, and then you go to your coach and then you work on it together and then you continue working on it and let that evolve and, and, and then just, you know, and let it go and, and do the audition. So I, I think that's a crucial thing that shockingly to me, very few actors use coaches. Very few. And uh, I think that's a game changer. I really do. For me, I again, I you know, right now all is different anyway, and there's not that a ton of additions uh, already. But um, I used it when I had my kind of the big auditions, and the uh, some of the other ones I didn't. But you know, <laughs> when I used a coach, and I used a wonderful, uh, wonderful coach who's also a former casting, actually not former, she's a casting director, um, and in Chicago. She uh, she got me to a point where I was uh, on a check avail on a Showtime uh, series for a recurring guest role, so I didn't get it. Uh, I you know I think at that point I was just in awe of being considered for a recurring guest star on a Showtime series. But uh, yeah, she definitely got me there. So I, I think all of the 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 ones that I really have used a coach on, I've gone farther on. So yeah, I think I'll start using a coach on every one of my auditions then. I would do, you know, I would do that. You know, I mean, I'm, you know, a lot of TV doesn't have a tremendous amount of subtext. Mm -hmm. Probably most TV doesn't have any subtext. It's just, it's pretty much on, on the page, you know? A lot, not, I'm not saying all the roles, but I'm just saying a lot of the roles, they're just delivering information, you know? Mm -hmm. and. I think trying to find any kind of subtext is is shooting yourself in the foot, and sometimes it just has to be a very straightforward thing, and you just kind of have to know what that is, you know, whether you feel it or you know it or somebody tells you. And I think that there are roles that are more complex, uh, or scenes that are more complex. I don't think roles that 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 need numerous layers, and um, having you know, I, I entirely trust myself, my my ability, my talent to to get pretty deep, but I can't direct myself. You know, uh, so so having a coach, you know, look at a moment and go, your stakes are at seventy five percent and. What if you did this and then immediately you go to, you know, a hundred and it's amazing because you, because you don't see it and somebody else can. And so, so, so that's, it's really rewarding on a, on a, on a simply creative artist level to just to, to do an audition like that. I mean, it's nice to get it. Uh, there is one audition that I did, one soft tape that I still keep because to me that's the gold standard and where I want to be every time. Wow. Yeah. Okay. One, I, and I watch it once in a while to just remind myself that that's the level you need to be on all the time. Yeah, very cool. Yeah. And uh, do you use, uh, and again, you don't have to share this. I know that some actors, uh, some very well-known actors are using coaches on set 
Uh, is that something that you've done or you've only used a coach for uh, auditions? I use coach. Uh, I, I use, I, I work with a coach when I have a job, but not on set. Okay. I would if I needed it. Absolutely. You know, 100%. Um, I think, I don't know. I've never heard of people using coaches on set. Really? Okay. Yeah. Children, maybe. Children, I don't know. Uh, not, not really. Voice coaches, yeah, accents, but I never heard of somebody using an acting coach. But then again, you know, I only know what I did. You know, I don't know what other people do. Uh, my, again, my information, because I haven't been on those sets, but my information comes from uh, Warner Laughlin and some of the other acting coaches that I've talked to. Uh, Warner Laughlin, you know, uh, and I'm not, I don't have the information to say that, you know, she was on set with these people I'm about to mention, but Ryan Reynolds, Amy Adams, you know, uh, she has a bunch of... Uh, bunch well, of you know, I could see that. I mean, these are people who are carrying the movie. Right. Absolutely. Why not? I guarantee... No, no, no. I, I, I see that. Yeah. Why wouldn't you use a coach if you, you are the movie? Yeah. I would. Uh, yeah. If, if I get to that point, I certainly will. Because uh, what I found in my, you know, short career at this point is that um, you know, some scenes and we do a lot of takes. So you're doing a scene and you're completely in it and uh, it works well and you're at the emotional uh, level that you need to be. And then you're doing another take and it's not quite there. And then another take and it's not there at all. And then it comes back again. So like I, I really, if the movie was writing on me or if I'm in, uh, in a really, you know, series regular or some sort of uh, a uh, role that requires, uh, I definitely would have a coach with me. But how do you know that something is not quite right? That means you're watching yourself, right? I, 100%. I, I completely agree with that. So what I'm saying to you is that work, I think, has to happen beforehand. Mm -hmm. And so that when the camera rolls, you just throw it away. You can't mm -hmm. watch yourself. Right. Um, you watch yourself, then that performance will always be not loose. And you want it to be loose. You want it to be a mess. Yeah. You want it to be like real life. You want, to want, you want it to be behavior with words. That's what you want. Yeah. Uh, the context, by the way, of my previous statement was uh, tears, right? So uh, when I was doing a very emotional scene, uh, in some, I'm, I'm really there, I'm connected, and the tears are flowing. And then, you know, uh, take three, they're not. And I don't feel myself as connected. So yes, at that point, uh, I'm not 100% in there because then I start to watch and say, okay, why is it not working? So it's, yeah, it's, it's things that I need to get better at. See, I'm yeah. just trying to think. Tears. Hmm. I don't know. Right. Different people do different things. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. I, I remember doing a very heavy scene in a movie that is going to be coming out, I think this year or maybe next. And I think it did a couple of takes and it was, but I, I remember I was listening to music and getting myself to the edge, right up to the point where they said, look, are you ready? And because I, I had the microphone in my, you know, an earpiece mm -hmm. to where 
I was just right there. It was a song that I was listening to, just on the brink. And I would take it out and, and, it, and, and, and it would be action. So, so whatever happened in the scene, I was full, whether I was going to break down or not. But I guess if, if they said, okay, you have to break down and I want to see tears, I just have to do that or I don't know. Put peppermint spray in my in my eyes if it wasn't if it wasn't happening, which is still fine. You know? Yeah, yeah. People use uh, kind of the uh, you know stick. Uh, Makeup. <laughs> I don't know. I honestly don't know. I just have no idea. You know, I, I'm sure that if you're in that zone, you're just gonna cry. But then sometimes there's none left. Yeah. Um, but then there's more maybe underneath the none. Yeah. Maybe you got to break through the floor. There's more water. I don't know. It's a good uh -huh. question. I'm working on that. I'm working yeah. on it. For, for whatever reason, again, as, uh, I, I, I'm a guy who I would love to do a lot more comedy than drama, but I get cast more in drama than comedy. So I, I have to learn how to cry on cue, uh, and I'm not at that point yet. Um, so we'll see. Um, okay, the reality of the business. Uh, you know, you've been in the business, and uh, at some points, as you've mentioned, you, uh, you decided that you're not going to act for a while. Um, What's the reality of the business from your experience like as an actor, you know, in New York? Um, when you talk about reality. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, what reality we're talking about? Whose reality we're talking about? What part of reality? <laughs> yeah. What do you mean? So allow me, allow me to get into a better, uh, uh, better, better question. So the actors that I've spoken to, you know, had uh, careers that were spanning, you know, all sorts of uh, peaks and valleys. Um, so I wanted to know from your perspective of somebody who's been in the business for a while, uh, has done, you know, a lot of things. What has been your reality? It doesn't seem like it was a, it was a simple ride. At some point you quit. You know, what is the reality of Hey, I started out and I needed to, uh, to kind of do this because this is me, but I wasn't making enough money and I had to do something else. And at some point I was questioning whether I'm good enough. Like everybody has their own reality. What was your journey? Well, I, I always did headshots as sometimes I had to do a lot more. Sometimes I had to do a lot less. Right. Yeah. So I was, you know, supplemented my income. Uh, when I started doing the Americans, I kind of didn't have to do that anymore, but I did anyway because I, I love doing it, you know. Um, and, you know, from the moment I did, I started doing the Americans, that's probably maybe eight years ago now, maybe nine. Okay. I, I, I worked, there were peaks and valleys, but I worked consistently for eight, nine years, you know. And, you know, there were things, there would be moments, there were lulls where I would, you know, freak out. Uh, but last year was uh, was an interesting year where I really wanted to change the course of my career, and I wanted to to work on roles that uh, that were that were deeper, you know, that that were that, that maybe had more not more depth, but had more dimension, you know, uh, maybe roles that weren't just, you know, just Russian, you know, other characters. And so last year I, I worked very, very little. I auditioned a shitload, 
I got a great new agent, <clears throat> Jonathan Mason at, at, at uh, Buckwell, uh, who's, you know, not just an agent, but a friend, awesome, a great uh, manager also. Uh, in 2018. Yeah, 2018. And she's been profound. But 2019 was really about finding the artist in the acting, as opposed to finding the, the roles in the acting. I mean, I was looking for that. I was auditioning a shit ton. Um, but it was a, a year of discovery. And then I think my first role 2020 was, I think, January, February, maybe. And that's when the show got canceled. So um, the reality is it's always going to be up and down. You know, some people have a, have a lot more control over their careers, how much they want to work. Mm -hmm. um, most people do not. Yeah. Um, but I, I do know some people who just, uh, you know, they do what they want to do. And they will not do anything less than that. You know, and it works for them. You know, you cannot base your career on somebody else's. So you have to make a choice what you want to do and why you want to do it and what you're doing it for. And ultimately, what result do you want to achieve? You know, and uh, those are questions that are important to ask, you know, other than I'm going to book that role. Yeah. You know? Is that answer? Is that reality, or is that non-reality? Is well, that that's your reality, and that's reality. That's what I wanted to know. Yeah, because it's for me and for the people watching. They want to know what it actually is like, right? As as I was looking at a uh, at your career, which you you alluded uh, to before, but as I was looking, uh, you know, in that space between the Wire and the Americans, I saw uh, kind of uh, some gaps and lean things. Uh, and it, you know, it begged the question, which was actually on my list to ask of what was happening during that time. And you said, hey, for three years, I, I, didn't, uh, I didn't work. So that's, that's reality. And I want to get to that part because uh, most of the actors that I speak to, uh, their reality is not you know, continuous red carpets and, uh, and 18, uh, uh, 18 uh, bedroom houses uh, in, uh, in LA. Uh, most are there because that's who they are. They love the art. Uh, they're working actors, and the reality is that. And that that's kind of it's why a good reality. You know, it's a pretty good reality. You know. Yeah. Um, to be able to do what you love and what you're good at and get paid for it and uh, have uh, have a living, it's great. Uh, I that's that's the reality that I want. I. I you know, I never aspired uh, to be a, a movie star. I always aspired uh, to be in interesting productions, playing interesting characters, and uh, you know, enjoying what I do. That's what I wanted to do. Great. I think that's, that. I think that sounds like a great goal. You know. And at whatever level, it's achievable because uh, you know, if if I get to uh, to a, a certain level where people recognize me. And I get to do that. That's great. If I get to do that in much smaller uh, productions and in indies and shorts, yeah, I, I'm still 
And that's when we were talking about what is the unsuccessful person. You know, my definition of success is, am I fulfilled doing what it is that I do? Am I enjoying it? Yes, it's a success. That's it. I love that. That's a very practical way at uh, looking at fulfillment. Yeah. Otherwise, uh, again, like, um, you know, seeing Pippin uh, on Broadway was a huge eye-opener for me because I saw a lot of myself in Pippin. And it scared me. And, uh, you know, watching Hamilton and uh, when he's saying, you strike me like a person who's uh, never satisfied, you know, because I'm never satisfied. I know that feeling. And that's not a very healthy feeling. So I had to really kind of continue to dig deep and try to figure out what is a practical approach to it. Because if I'm continuing striving for some unachievable greatness, uh, I'm not going to be enjoying this experience and that's not going to be a very happy life for me. So, yes, but, yes, but Alan, yeah. you cannot have a material solution to a spiritual dilemma. It is not possible. And thinking that something is going to satisfy as an artist is delusional. It'll never, ever, ever, ever happen. Not for you, not for a single artist out there. That is the nature of this. And if you feel satisfied, you just go, leave. Go to Club Med forever. It's not going to happen. It's just not going to happen. I mean, I remember talking about this just the other day on a day. You're like, yes, but... That's unhealthy. I'm like, I don't care. Do you understand that? I don't care. The idea is to strive. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, Man of La Mancha, you know? Mm -hmm. it, what's, what's the song? To reach the unreachable star. You know, that's, the, that's an artist. You're yeah. always reaching for the unreachable star. When you get that role, it's amazing. You're doing it. Amazing. It's done. It's, it's, it's done. It's not a job you go to. It is a job you do, and then you move on. Right. Even a great role like, like uh, Arcady on The Americans, you did it. What's next? Mm -hmm. You know? I know. Um, and I'm, I'm trying to figure out what is it that can be done to marry being an artist and striving for things that have incredibly low uh, probability of material success and trying to marry those two. And uh, I, I have not found it yet. So I'm still searching for it. Uh, and, but I know the feeling. I know what you're saying. And uh, the only, you know, my reality when we get down to it is I'm a 45-year-old man living in Chicago. I believe I have some talent when it comes to acting. I have talents when it comes to writing. I have talents when it comes to a lot of things. So I have two kids, I have a wife. Uh, we have to make sure that we pay for you know, our kids' uh, college education. Uh, we support our lifestyle. So if I continue striving and letting it all there without trying to marry it with some level of financial stability, uh, I'll probably be getting divorced very soon. So it's that part where I'm trying to figure out what can I do to be the creative, to be the artist, to continue striving and not have the, you know, uh, a job where I get to sit in a desk uh, all day feeling uh, completely unfulfilled and uh, hating the existence of it. So it's, it's that thing. 
And I think maybe that's what my life is about. And once I figure out what it is, I can hopefully help other people do the same. I mean, I, I, I find it to be uh, ambitious and, and reputable. And I, I think that's great. I really do. Yeah. And I think it ultimately comes down to priority. Yeah. Right? It's, it's like if you said to me, you know what, I'm leaving my wife and my kids. Yep. To pursue acting full time, I'm gonna get a little, you know, apartment. I'm gonna eat a baked potato every day, and you know, whatever it is. I would say you're insane, but I respect your choice. Mm -hmm. But you're not doing that. You're choosing your family and stability and children, and I think that's a great choice, and I respect that. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that's crazy. I, I think that's I think that's quite a beautiful thing. I really do. I don't have children. But I hear it's all the rage. <laughs> yeah, it's it's an interesting life that we lead and the choices that we have to make. So my ambition, <clears throat> my ambition is whether it's this show or something else, is to marry my creativity with something that the uh, the world that we live in is actually interested in paying for so I can have a balance of me being me, but still be grounded in the reality of my responsibilities. Alan, I have the perfect job for that. What is it? You should be a film producer. A uh, film producer? Absolutely. Find a project, mm -hmm. champion it, mm -hmm. find the financing, and make it happen. I'm telling you, 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 you you're a master of organization, you know, you you have certain you have a skill set that most actors do not, um, and also you are you're earnest and you're honest. So I believe you when you say to me, "Hey, I, I have a great project and you, you've got to make this." You only because I there is no agenda. You just wholeheartedly believe in what you're doing. So I. I really want to inspire you to do that, to find a project yeah. that you want to champion and knock on every door. I mean, you're getting to whoever you really want to get to right. and, and, and make that happen. And I think that not only uh, you'll find a financial reward there, you'll find a great creative reward mm -hmm. as well. And you even may find a role in, in some of these movies to play. It's a great idea. Thank you, Lev. Uh, I did not think about that at all, but it makes perfect sense now that you uh, talk about it because I get huge, enormous, genuine satisfaction out of putting people in the right situations. See that. So that would definitely be something that's fulfilling. That would be something that is a part of the business. That would be something that's incredibly creative. Uh, I would definitely enjoy it and can see myself doing that for the rest of my life. And um, yeah, okay. The so, only advice that I would give to that yeah. is never look at a project in terms of what role can I play. You have to totally separate yourself from that right. completely. Yeah. You know what I mean? I hear your dog. It's not my dog right now. My kids are printing something on my printer in the office. Let's see what it is and how important it was to interrupt this. <laughs> so this is what my kids have printed. I think it's important. 
I think so. So uh, one of them is going to be knocking on the door or trying to open it very quietly and try to uh, try to get it. So uh, we'll we'll make sure that uh, <laughs> we'll make sure that that's recorded. See, guys, this is what it's about. This is life during COVID. Yeah, see, the door is opening. Go ahead, come in. We already talked about you. Come in, say hi to Liv. Hi. hi, you're not on camera. Hi. Hi. Lev, this is my daughter, Annette, and everybody in the audience, this is my daughter, Annette. Annette hi. is going to be turning 16. <laughs> in Annette is beautiful. And Annette decided to print something, which is right here, oh. sweetie. Right here, this one. It's my flower. Yes. Thank you. Bye. <laughs> we are definitely not cutting this up. Um, so yeah, uh, I I like I really like that idea of a film producer. That makes a lot of sense to me. I mean, it makes. Yeah. Excuse me for a second. No There's your dog. It's a good dog. Mm -hmm. It's a good dog. Who is it? Who is it? <laughs> it's UPS, Alan. Okay, go go get UPS. No, no, I'm not going downstairs. Okay. They can leave it there. You mean they but I think that it's time for me to take my dog out. I think so. I think <laughs> You mean they can leave a package in New York and it's not going to be taken away by anybody? I hope so. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> this reminds me of a joke. This is a this is a a, a parting a, a parting uh, joke. This is our swan song. Let's go. Uh, a couple uh, they get married and they decide to go on vacation to Hawaii. Mm -hmm. They get to Hawaii their first morning. Every cup it's gorgeous. They go for a walk on the beach. And, and uh, the man says, sweetheart, honey, I, I just love this. I'm so excited to be married to you. And I just love Hawaii. And she said, wait, Hawaii? It's Hawaii. No, it's not. It's Hawaii. It's Hawaii, sweetheart. It's not Hawaii. <laughs> no, everybody knows that. No, it is. It's so they're walking down the beach. She says, Hawaii. He says, Hawaii. 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 And then all of a sudden, they see this little old man sitting there. He's, you know, he's, um, he's fishing from the beach. He said, let's ask the local. So she comes up to him, uh, excuse me, uh, sir, could you, could you, you know, tell us, what's the correct way to pronounce this island? Is it Hawaii or Hawaii? He goes, Hawaii. And, you know, her husband says, you see, thank you very much, sir. He says, you're welcome. <laughs> Absolutely. This is a dad joke. Yeah. No, and it's it's a dad joke. It's a Jewish joke. I love it. And it's, uh, it's brilliant. brilliant. I think it's brilliant. It's perfect. It's, it's perfect. perfect. Uh, great speaking with you. Thank you. Thank you so much, Lev. Uh, it's it's a pleasure, and I I'm very honored that uh, you took your time, and uh, probably more than you anticipated. And you spend it with me and the audience uh, talking about uh, your life, your art, uh, and your approach. So I wish you nothing but the best. Thank you so much, Alan. Take care.
yeah likewise thanks you uh thanks you thank you to everybody for tuning in uh we know you love acting as much as we do that's why we do this okay that's why we do this okay.